Well, good morning. This is GenTech, Season 3, Episode 2. My name is Michael Kelly, and our guest today is Jeff Nugent. He is the Associate Director of the Center for Teaching Excellence at Virginia Commonwealth. And also joining us today are the illustrious doctors from Charlottesville. Hey, this is Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and... Williamsburg. This is Mark. What's going on? That's hey, guys. Great. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining. You can thank us after it's over if you <laughs> right. want to. Yeah, thanks for shutting it down. <laughs> yeah, well, Jeff, we're really glad that you, that you uh, were able to come on today. Um, we've been uh, following along in some of the things that you're doing, and it we're really happy to have the opportunity to talk to you about some of these things because in our effort to kind of branch out and uh, expand the GenTech horizons a little bit into teaching and learning with technology, you're just the man to start us off in that endeavor. Um, <clears throat> and we have a couple possible topics lined up. First, maybe a little bit of introduction about what, what it is you do on a, during the day and then uh, some of the, the, the things that uh, are keeping you busy um, and what you're looking at down the road here. Sure. Thanks. So, as the associate director of the Center for Teaching Excellence at Virginia Commonwealth University, what does that mean? What do we, what do, we do? Yeah, indeed. What, what, what do we do here? Um, <laughs> the uh, the CTE uh, has been here at VCU for uh, this is now entering its sixth year, and the primary responsibility of the center is to engage in faculty development work. So we work with folks. Um, here at VCU, uh, I mean, we have over 3,000 faculty members. 3,000? Uh, 3,000. Wow. There's about, yeah, uh, there's a, wow. about 1,200 full-time tenure-track folks um, and nearly um, 1,800 adjunct collateral folks um, collateral. that teach a wide range of classes. So um, our, our mission, believe it or not, is to address the needs of those folks um, and as you might imagine, um, it's an impossible task. Um, in any event, what we, what we try to do is offer a range of opportunities for faculty members to come together, um, explore teaching and learning in, in ways that, you know, enhance their practice. And my role at the center is specifically focused on the use of technology to support that. So, um, and I see we have a few things here that maybe you want to address today in terms of programs or services that the center offers. Um, yeah. and, and I can talk about that in, in a little bit more detail. We have a staff here of, of five folks, um, and half of us kind of work on technology-related things, and the other people tend to focus on uh, just general teaching and learning kinds of, of issues. So, Hey, Jeff, before you get started, um, how, how strong a focus was technology when the CTE was first founded? Um, it was marginal, um, and VCU's undergone some changes in recent years uh, where there was a reorganization of two different units, if you will, that were providing technology services. Uh, um, they combined what was formerly known as the Administrative Information Technology Group and the former Academic Technology Group and, and collapsed them into one, and at that time, the center expanded its role in providing um, 
initially training, if you will, um, uh, in the use of um, things like Blackboard and other technologies that that we had begun to to implement. And, and was that focus um, more? I don't know, like the word, but tutorial based, kind of just how to, as opposed to how to integrate it, or was the, the you know the appropriate integration there focus all along? Well, you know that I come from a pretty biased perspective sure. when it comes to that. Um, it had been, up to that point, kind of a point-and-click training approach okay. where, uh, <clears throat> you know, here's how, you know, to use Blackboard, press on this, click that, load a syllabus. Um, and we've attempted over the course of the past three years to completely overhaul um, things that we do offer new kinds of opportunities for faculty on a regular basis, jump in and explore things here on our own, and oftentimes like fail miserably at it and, <laughs> but then what we but then what we 're able to do is uh, serve up i think to faculty members who who come to the table uh, things that we 've already kind of taken around the track a little bit and said this has some compelling instructional potential and here's what we think about it um, or we actually use it in our own classes and and introduce that so you know part of our job is to identify meaningful ways of using it to first and foremost support you know learning and engage faculty in, in thinking through how they can use it and apply it in their own practice so I hope that answers. Yeah, no, it does. How, I was going to, as a follow-up, how much would you say, how much of what you do is determined by things that you guys at the center have found and, and bring to faculty, and how much of it is faculty coming to you with, you know, I'd like to be able to do this, or here's a tool that I found and, and want to be able to try to use? I would say that the majority of of what we do tends to be things that we put on the table, and there's a range of ways that we make a de- that we make decisions about that. For example, we um, run a brown bag lunch series that uh, for us, uh, we run every Friday, 12 to 1, informal opportunities for faculty to get together around a range of topics, issues, questions. And we tend to split them half and half with a technology focus and then just a generic teaching focus. And these become opportunities for us uh, to, to see what happens as, as a as a t- test balloon. Like we throw that out there and say, okay, is anybody really interested in Twitter? And so here we're going to talk about socially network communication, introduce that as an idea, see what kind of uptake we get. And that gives us some kind of idea about, is there faculty interest in this? Because part of it, I think, is to be perfectly honest with you, there is way too much going on in, in the area that you know, we all work in. And faculty members simply do not have the time to explore oftentimes in the ways that, that we do. So I think that we're a fairly, you know, the early adopter group, um, that's a fairly thin band of people. And, um, you know, we're trying to put stuff in, in front of faculty that we think um, is, has some value to explore. So, um, then there's the standard stuff that we uh, engage in that has proven to be time and again stuff that faculty members are are interested in. So we sustain that. And so if something comes out of a brown bag lunch, say, for example, that is uh, popular and has interest and is getting some traction, we'll, we'll turn it into a more formal offering. 
Um, but one of the things that we also recognize is, uh, you know, workshops by and large, despite the number of them that we do, are rather ineffective in changing practice. But we still do them. And we do them for a couple of important reasons. And one of them is faculty having opportunities to work with one another in an interdisciplinary way where you show up at a workshop, there's seven or eight people there, for example, um, and you're all interested in, say, podcasting or whatever. And that is hugely valuable at a place the size of VCU. Uh, It establishes contact with other faculty members who are interested in exploring what, what you're interested in exploring. So that's one. And let me, actually, is, let me just ask yeah. about that podcasting program. I noticed one oh, yeah. of the things that you guys do is you have you don't just offer these as workshops, but it looks like you actually ask uh, faculty to apply to become part of become part of them. Is that I mean is that right? Well, that's the other th- the other kind of facet to this that I wanted to to share with you in terms of your initial question about so how do you make a determination about what you offer? And mm-hmm. so we have these informal things that are brown bags, workshops that are slightly more formal offerings. But then what we really try to do is grow, in a way, grassroots interest in, at a programmatic level, if you will. So things like the podcasting program, what we try to do is bring faculty together for an extended period of time in a cohort. So the podcasting program, for example, attracted about 20 faculty members and for an entire academic year, we got together and met well, once or twice a month to take a look what they were, you know, what they were doing with their podcasting, uh, questions they had about you know, the kinds of things that they were engaged with, sharing their experiences and practice, um, and then critically examining it, trying to evaluate it and uh, share that with the, you know, their colleagues here at the university and beyond. So um, it's those more formal programs where we use the lure, if you will, of, of podcasting to really talk about teaching and learning in an, in, in an extended way. Now, is that what you're doing with the tablet PC uh, program? Yeah, well? that's, that's exactly right. So the, the tablet program, this is the, the third year that, that we have run that. And you know, that, that's a little bit more substantial in terms of the kind of funding required to get that thing off the ground. Um, sure. We have 15 faculty members in a cohort. They come in. Um, folks apply to that. That's really grown. It's grown from like, gee, what's a tablet to um, now I got 50 people to 75 people applying every year for like 15 slots. Mm. Um, well, so great. word is out that like that's interesting. And uh, so oftentimes, though, as you know, it's technology it can be, uh, you know, sexy and it's the it's the gadgetry that brings folks to the table and like we try to leverage that a little bit to say all right now that you're here and in the door let's really take a a careful look at what are the capabilities how does it impact instruction get faculty to reflect think about that share that with one another um and assess the impact of what they're doing in the classroom with the technology. So, well, Jeff, let me just follow up you don't, on that. I mean, real quick. Yeah. How do you get past yeah. that that sort of uh, 
Oh, the, the, the sexiness kind of appeal there that eventually wears off. I mean, how do you sustain the interest once? Because as you look at, like, podcasting as a process, and I'm not sure beyond the concept it has as much that, of, of that tactile, I've got a gadget in my hand appeal to it. Tablet PCs, on the other hand, you know, they're, they're a real neat thing to get in your hands. How do you keep faculty interested over the course of the year once they've had a chance just to, to get the play out? Well, one of the things that we, we try to do is, and again, we will meet with folks periodically, again, throughout the academic year. So we meet once or twice a month. There's a topic that we put on the table, and we try to link what we think is compelling or interesting in using the tablet PC to, to their practice. And now we have the opportunity to draw on past participants in, in cohorts. So, like, for example, um, I might be showcasing something like Camtasia Studio for um, the creation of some rather interesting in, instructional content. And so uh, faculty members will come in from uh, other cohorts, different schools and departments, and show how they've been using that in their teaching and share those kinds of experiences where the focus is not on the tool. The focus is on thinking very carefully about how you want to implement and use it to achieve what you want in terms of learning outcomes and, and, and your instructional goals. So um, that takes time. I think it takes time and engagement in a community in order to generate that kind of, all right, yeah, I got the iPod Touch. It's really, really cool. Um, but what can I do with, with podcasting that is compelling for my class? And uh, so that, that it, I think it takes – the important ingredients for us are – sustained engagement over a longer period of time in a community of people who are doing the same thing. And that has an impact on faculty. Let me ask you this, Jeff, with the idea of, you know, there's a lot of ways to form a community. Um, is this typical like face-to-face kind of brown bag sessions where you meet over and over? Do you have like a kind of a web-based community? How do you facilitate that community building and that sort of ongoing, uh, ongoing work on a, you know, on a single topic or focal area? That's an interesting question, Mark, in terms of how to sustain um, engagement outside of the face-to-face thing. Um, And to be honest with you, bringing folks together face-to-face has proven to be um, necessary and the most effective way. I've not had an experience where there's a lot of uptake among faculty in a say, an electronic or a virtual community to sustain that. But here's some of the things I've, I've, I've tried to do. Um, for example, um, the Tablet PC program, I'll set up um, an organization inside a Blackboard where folks can share resources, engage in discussion, um, have links to research articles about the impact of podcasting on, on teaching, for example. So that becomes an online container for some interaction. But to be perfectly honest with you, the, the uptake on that kind of experience among faculty that I've worked with has been rather slow um, and, and quite difficult to sustain. I think what happens is these folks come out of the, the back end of a, of a program like the Tablet PC program, and then they're a member of a 
of a larger group that, I mean, now there's like 70 faculty members at this university who come out of this program. And uh, there's some of our strongest advocates for using technology in the classroom in meaningful ways. So it's that broader community where um, it's sustained, I think, uh, in ways that I don't always see because they're in their school or department and they'll come back and tell a story about how they're starting to, uh, in many ways, build the same kind of grassroots connections with their colleagues that were started in the, in the program. So it becomes a model for uh, sustaining that same kind of thing where they return to their home department or school. Jeff, um, I, I gotten an email question from an ITRT in Virginia after our last show when we announced that you were going to be on. And the, the question was, I think, probably fits nicely with what you're talking about now. And the idea was, how much of what you do is, is something, and this is a little bit off topic, but I think it's still worth, worth asking since we have a lot of K-12 listeners. How much of what you do at VCU do you think could translate down to the K-12 level um, in terms of sort of faculty building and this, you know, this idea of early innovators bringing in people and, and you know, maintaining the excitement about using these new tools? Good question. Um, I'll, I'll preface a response by saying that I, I think we need to acknowledge that, um, you know, in, in many ways, things going on in the K-12 setting, I think at least, um, have in, in a lot of ways represent models that higher education should consider, to be honest. And... Mm that um, the kind of collaboration, collegiality, work, identification of other colleagues who are doing interesting things at a, in a K-12 setting. I mean, I see folks engaging in, in the way that Mark had indicated, you know, like having these electronic communities in a range of spaces through blogging, through Twitter, through Delicious, through Ning sites, and, ex you know, to f a few examples. I see K-12 educators engaging in that space way more than anybody in, in higher education. Um, but I, the thing that we've found here at VCU, and VCU's got, again, a, a unique situation in that we got 12 professional schools and a college, so uh, it's fairly siloed. And how do you cross those boundaries, bring people together, and sustain change or at least have an impact in those schools or departments? That's hard. And again, the thing that we've seen that works in incredibly effectively are faculty learning communities. So the bulk of what we really try to do is build on that concept of bringing folks together in a cohort for a sustained period of time and give them the resources and the opportunities to learn with each other. That is just hugely important and what we've seen to be the have the most impact in terms of really changing teaching practice. The other things we do, I think we have to do, uh, but workshops don't change teaching practice. So I, I'm not advocating, um, you know, the workshop model here, but we have to do it because for me, it's the conversation starter. It gets them in the door. It makes them interested in other kinds of things. So again, I, I go back to the, to the model of the learning community being the kind of base unit, if you will, for um, bringing folks together in K-12 settings. And I think that happens in K-12 settings where you have teams and, um, you know, 
at least in the elementary and middle school level, I would think that you have that teaming approach. But applying that to um, a topic or an area of inquiry for an entire academic year, I think that there's some you know interesting translation that could go on there. Nice. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> Stunned. Stunned. Did, that, did, that, did that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it made total <laughs> oh, yeah, sense. Definitely. And I, I mean, I think that in many ways it's nice to hear someone who is doing the thoughtful work that you're doing say that you can look to K-12 schools as a model yeah, for, absolutely. for some of the work that you'd like to be able to do. Yeah, because so many, so many times we try to force it to go the other way, and it, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. it just doesn't make any sense. So, right. mm-hmm. and obviously, there's you, there's lessons to learn, you know, I think both ways. But some great insight, I thought. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Jeff, just maybe a couple other specific questions about the things that you guys are doing, and then um, I, I wouldn't mind talking to you for a few minutes about um, you know some of your thoughts and some of the the tools that you that you see out there that are getting some traction, or the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is your most recent blog post, which I found very interesting, um, about RSS. Oh. So as, as I look through the, the work that y- y'all are doing, one of the things that we would wanted to ask you about is the Student Technology Expertise Program. Could you talk just a little bit about that? Sure. And how you see it fitting in with the mission of the CTE? Sure, absolutely. Um, the, the STEP program, and, and as I told Michael at the, at the start, we're in the process of reconceptualizing the STEP program. I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory and the history of it and tell you where I'd, I'd like to ultimately go with it. Um, the STEP program was initially conceptualized uh, as a way for faculty members to get some assistance from students who had particular technology skills that the faculty member wanted to learn. So faculty would propose uh, uh, projects where they needed the assistance of a student who already had the skill. So the idea is behind it, you know, we'll teach you how to fish. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then you're intended to, you know, uh, continue to develop on your own and share that with other faculty in your department. So what we saw, however, was, <coughs> excuse me, over the past couple of years, faculty members routinely asking for STEP students for web development projects exclusively. Mm-hmm. And so what it became was, come on in, build a web page for me, put all this neat interactive functionality into it, and then uh, the student would go away and the faculty member would be at a little bit of a loss for updating and maintaining some of the more you know, sophisticated aspects of the web page. And it, it became that more and more, build me a web page. Right. And so you know, we had to give some real thought to you know, funding a program like that. How could we make it more meaningful? So uh, I still think there's great value to be derived from engaging students who come to the table with these skills and working with faculty members who have project ideas but aren't quite sure how to get them off the ground. We, uh, for example, had um, a student who was really into Second Life uh, who understood how to uh, build content in there, uh, develop objects, build the environment out. And so, you know, we hooked them up with a group of faculty who were interested in in exploring that. That, I think, is... um, a valuable use of that kind of program. But the other thing is I want to have students that are going to have a sustained experience as well and not have it be so 
fragmented, and that's what it had tended to be. It was project work. It would come and go. It was unpredictable, but we wanted to have students at the ready in any event. The way I'm thinking about it now is um, pitching this idea of of student technology fellows, if you will. Oh, nice. um, mm-hmm. And the idea there would be that we would bring them to the center for a, and, and support them for a full academic year. And we would work with them regularly and collaboratively on things that, that we were having a look at, that we wanted to, to promote, that we could anticipate there would be some faculty interest in, and uh, you know, make it a meaningful experience for the students. Uh, and then have a ready pool of expertise that we could um, apply to settings as they emerge. So um, I'm in the process of thinking through how to like open this up for specific schools and departments. I want to partner with the School of Education here at ECU uh, to perhaps grab a student who's like in their master's program with like an IT concentration, bring somebody like like that in who can work at the center for for a year and the idea would be you know let's hire a few of these students two three students that can be like technology ambassadors um but get them away from the you know let's do web development kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so i think that's a great idea i you know i'm sure there are people doing kind of similar things, but I like that idea of sort of ambassadors. I think that's kind of a clever way to think about it. It sort of shifts it from this idea of like a, uh, you know, like a technical trainer kind of thing to, mm-hmm. to something uh, different. You know, I think that's a great idea. One it, well, question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. Well, the other thing I was going to kind of layer on that is um, comes out of a, a fundamental assumption I'm, I'm making here. And the idea is that I think you guys would agree that the web's fundamentally changed here, and it's a new, it's a new game, and th- the name of the game is is participation. I think, and we see the web being that platform of participation, and students come to the table having already experienced that, having been steeped in that, and. I think that there's a lot of insight that they can share with faculty members about how they're learning in these spaces mm-hmm. and and to really help faculty gain insight in working with students in that capacity um, in ways that they wouldn't otherwise perhaps venture into on their own or even discover on their own. So that's one of the, you know, kind of the byproducts. I'd I'd hope for there. And and that's interesting to me because it's it's getting into, because a lot of these things that we're talking about, I think we're going for some some transformative effect and we're trying to get beyond, you know, how the old wine and the new bottle kind of thing. Um, And definitely bringing in this perspective of how students who are steeped in these these different technologies or with different experience are learning or are perceiving their own learning you know that's 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 I think a, a very important part in kind of addressing that issue of getting you know getting the shifting the paradigm you know, with with because that's when the power of these I think these technologies really comes to bear when when we because I think it does involve um, you know a different different way of looking at teaching and learning and experiencing it and that's that's got to happen I like that. <laughs> 
Nope. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, one thing I was thinking uh, along the same lines is, you know, I think we, we make maybe an erroneous or some people make an erroneous assumption that because, you know, like especially thinking like undergrads are really steeped in technology and social networking and all that, that they automatically understand how technology can transform their experience as a learner. And I think that's I think those students are few and far between I, because I think how they use technology outside of school environment, whether it's K-12 or in higher ed, is very different than, you know, the kind of work they're asked to do sometimes in the, in the education environment. So, yeah. like, I think it's a conversation. It's a dialogue with those mm. students who are using these in maybe different ways and the faculty who are teaching to see where that common ground is because I don't think that necessarily yeah. a lot of students see that. Uh, well, have good vision for that overall. You know, Mark, and I think, too, that speaks to the idea that faculty, I think, have assumptions at some level that what they need to do is to match the uses outside of right. class of technology in their own teaching. So, the, yep. you know, instead of, instead of looking at a, a tool like Twitter, I don't know, uh, or, or instant messaging and saying, how can I use this effectively for the teaching goals that I have? Some faculty will look at this and think, how can I mimic students' own use of this right. outside of the academic environment? And yet, you know, the, I think it was the latest Pew studies right. said exactly the opposite. They said, you know, stay out of my space. Right. You know, I don't want to use, well, you know, this th- necessarily for my learning. I think that makes some sense if you think about it. I mean, in some yeah. ways, it's the equivalent of watching your dad dance. It's just, you know. <laughs> um, Jeff, one question I've got more practically as you were talking about some of these things um, is probably something other people are wondering, too, which is where does the money come from for this? I mean, you're talking about workshops and, and year-long commitments, and, and I noticed, too, that you guys have um, – looks like you have a small grants program up to $5,000. So if, if you don't mind my asking, I mean, where does the money for all of this come from? Um, Morgan Stanley? Okay. N- no. Uh, um, <laughs> I got bad news for you, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, no, the center uh, receives um, – funding through the provost's office and our, our operating budget is actually really small. Um, the, the monies that we get to support our programs are redistributed to, to faculty members. Um, so the small grant program um, is, uh, again, the small grant program, uh, the faculty learning communities program, uh, these kinds of things where we attract faculty members uh, in, in cohorts, um, those are kinds of things that is are, are part of the CTE's annual operating budget. The the tablet PC program has been funded uh, through HETEF requests. So in the state of Virginia, uh, you can request funds through um, the higher education. I, I forget what HETEF actually stands for, but it's it's state funding that you can request to support um, instructional uses of of technology. So that's where that comes from. Um, and so w- while it may appear that the programs are, you know, they, they might be larger than they are, there's, you know, there's obvious caps and limits on that. And, sure. I, you know, um, so it, it, it's not as bottomless as it might appear. <laughs> Jeff, um, in our correspondence, you had um, mentioned uh, something <coughs> you've been Excuse thinking me. about lately. And, uh, and I'd like to ask if you could talk about a little bit. You were talking about generating social networks as a skill, social networks mm. across media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking? Um, I, I want to go back for, for a second to what Mark said and then connect it to your question. Okay. Uh, the, the idea that 
that Mark raised was, you know, uh, let's not assume here that students are technologically savvy, and, and, and I wouldn't argue for, for that either. But right. for certain, I think they're technologically engaged. Um, sure. And I, I think what that means is they are coming to the table and are learning, actually, in these informal kinds of ways. Um, I think they're learning some practices. I think they're learning some skills. But they're using the social media kinds of tools, if you will, to entertain themselves. Uh-huh. And they don't always come ready for understanding how they can use social media for learning. Right. And that's where I think that there's a, a, a huge uh, gap and, and opportunity. So, I mean, I, I would certainly agree with, with Mark there on that, that you know, I'm not suggesting that these students are uh, technologically savvy in terms of their using that stuff for learning. They, they use it in the absence of the direction that is on our part as educators. They use it to entertain themselves. Right. Um, that's the bottom line, I, I think. And there are few and far between the ones that uh, recognize the value of, say, a, a personal learning network, for example. Yeah. So to connect that then, Michael, to the question about, so um, what do I see kind of happening with uh, students who are, or just the skills that seem to be present for building social networks? And again, this is one of those half-baked things that I'm, not quite sure I have very well sorted out yet, and I think we're all trying to, to sort it out. The, yeah. the idea where, because right now I'm, I'm teaching a course um, called uh, Learning with Digital Media, and uh, the students, as I, I, I can contrast my experience in working with these students and working with faculty, and what I see is just hugely different as they encounter things like, oh, uh, delicious and, and, and Twitter, Okay, let's use those as, 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 as examples. Um, faculty members, typically when we introduce things like Delicious and, and Twitter, have no, in my experience, very limited frame of reference for understanding the value of, of why you would want to share public bookmarks or <laughs> why you would want to actually um, provide updates in 140 characters or less to a network of people that you build who share your interests like they don't see that and oftentimes when we introduce these as ideas um the eyes start to roll some people fall out of chairs um <laughs> i mean it's it's not immediately obvious what the value is nor is it immediately obvious how to build a network on the web mm -hmm. um and I contrast that with my recent experience with the students uh, with whom I have the pleasure of, of, of learning with and working with this semester. Um, I introduced something like Delicious, and uh, within, oh, 15 minutes of introducing it, they've all added one another to their own <laughs> network. They've right. begun to share and exchange bookmarks. They uh, find out things about Delicious that I didn't know you could mm -hmm. actually do. Um, you can bundle uh, networks and give them names, so they automatically started bundling up these sub-networks within their network, and uh, they did this with very little direction. Uh -huh. And that suggested to me that they're already coming to the table with insight about, about building a social network mm -hmm. on the web. That's right. uh, 
you know, very similarly for, for Twitter, uh, for example. Um, we uh, took a look at Twitter last week. We're going to continue uh, exploring that uh, this evening, in fact. I'm really looking forward to what it is uh, you know, that they're thinking and, and, and coming up with in, in regard to the use of, of Twitter. But uh, again, um, they were very quick to be able to uh, add each other to a network, go out and find other people that were of interest to them, begin to build and follow people that seem to have interest. And... Twitter perhaps is a tougher pill to swallow, and I think Mark can attest to that. But um, <laughs> yes, uh, I can. <laughs> you know, um, the uh, I have not seen very many faculty members and embrace um, the the power of, of of Twitter at all. And I think we're in the real early stages of recognizing why it's valuable. Um, so I so I offer that as a bit of a contrast that uh, is a hunch. It's an intuition, and I think that uh, I want that's something I want to examine or get your guys' insight on a, a, as well. Is so are there these emerging underlying practices that students are coming to the table with that kind of shape their learning? And if in fact that that's the case, to what extent do we need to fundamentally understand that in order to be more effective in the classroom? Well, I mean, Jeffrey. You- in some ways, it sounds like you're sort of proposing that this is a different generation argument. Is is that what you're thinking? Um, I don't, th- th- you know, that argument, I th- think we hear all the time. I don't know if that's. I, I don't know if I, I agree wouldn't. With that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's generational, Steve. Okay. I would say, I would say that they are having experiences on the web that. that shape their expectations for learning in ways that aren't necessarily a common everyday experience for the average bear. So, in, so in, in what ways? I mean, let's we can all throw some ideas out there. Are you talking about the idea that just the access should be immediate and flat in terms of who can get at it, that kind of thing? No, I think that, <coughs> excuse me, um, for example, I'll, I'll go back to Twitter real quick. When students first encountered it, they were able to say, um, wow, this is, this is kind of like a, a, my experience on Facebook or MySpace, and here's how it's similar to that. So my, my, my point there is that they have something conceptually to hang Twitter on. Got it. And I don't see that as generational as much as it's experiential because I think that those of us who have had the experiences of building social networks would, again, make these kinds of um, connections or be able to recognize it or be able to fit it into a conceptual map, if you will. Like, they have that. And I don't know if it's – I wouldn't say that it's generational. Like, the whole net gen thing, I don't buy. Um, But I think it's uh, more about – how are these very real experiences that they're having shaping their expectations um, for learning? So it's, it's a question, really, for me, more than um, an argument about generational difference. Sure. I mean, I think part of what you're talking about is what a greater, maybe a different context coming to these new tools than somebody like, you know, you or I might have. Um, or what, a broader experience using similar tools? I mean, so what's the difference between somebody like you, an instructional technologist, picking up Twitter, 
somebody, uh, you know, you've used Facebook, you've used these other tools, you've got, to use the analogy, you've got your finger on the pulse of what's kind of new and happening. Um, so what's the difference between you picking up Twitter and looking at it and then maybe, a, you know, a student, an undergraduate student who's, who's got the same, the same basic lay of the land? Well, it's that step into to, to applying into learning networks. Um, for me, because you're thinking on those two sides, because then I think some of this, that that context, that the, the frame to hang it on, um, I think it's it's pretty plausible to say that if I have this these skills of networking on the web, to to start thinking about that moving in terms of a learning network and not an entertainment, not a just pass the time kind of networking, social purely social thing that becomes more apparent or more quickly and and that how that can be applied whereas if i don't i don't have that experience and i don't have that frame i'm going to have to take another couple steps before i can really get down to to more educational learning applications perhaps i would agree with that michael <laughs> the silence doesn't mean i disagree <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> well, I guess no. I guess what I'm wondering is—is is this? I think it—it it may. I don't know. Maybe it's hard to think about because I think at one level you do, like Jeff saying and, and Michael, like you said, you've got people who come in with these frames that they can hang experiences on. Okay. Um, at another level, you've got somebody like Jeff or somebody like Mark or somebody like you, Michael, who I think in many ways have sort of a similar take on things. I mean, we as instructional technologists have been widely exposed to these tools. I think we use them too, and we. Two, when we see something new, when we saw Twitter for the first time, I think we could compare that to other, you know, similar things that we've used. So I guess, I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess the question is, how do you connect? I mean, if there is a difference there, how do you, how do you bridge that? And if, if there's not, then, you know, what's, where does the conversation begin? Does that, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have, um, I, I don't know that I have a really good answer, but I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. And, um, I think that there is a real important distinction between using technology for personal purposes and using it for academic purposes. And um, that's, I, I think, an important separation to spend some time thinking about because the, the crossover for me is, is, the, is the key, is um, these the faculty members that I work with, I encourage them when I talk about social media and introduce uh, things that I think are compelling in that area. I, I encourage them to use these tools first and foremost for their own learning. Like you, we tend to come to the table and think about instructional technology as okay. So how is this thing going to help me teach? Okay, mm -hmm. legitimate question. But I'm trying to get folks to learn how to use something like delicious for their own learning. And that's, that's a different concept, I think, for people. And I think mm -hmm. if faculty experience something where they use it first and foremost for their, for their own learning, they're more than likely to introducing it in a meaningful way to their students to, to you know, to support uh, what's going on in the classroom. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Mark, what do you well, think? no, I, I hear you, and I because I think a lot of and this kind of comes up a little bit in a lot of the conversations we have is that some of these this technology and these tools to me and part of the appeal for me is that it's 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 it encourages and it draws us into a different kind of learning, and that is a more self directed 
um, you know, autodidactic sort of process than necessarily we're used to or conventionally where it, it's, I'm going to teach this to you and you're going to receive it. And, and yeah, we can come up with some activities, engaging things that kind of, you know, open that up a little bit. But really when you're asking, there's a, there is a big difference between how can I teach something as in content and, or how can I, you know, use, teach something, the, the, you know, the, the process of learning it, you know, of, of how to get at this content in your own way that's meaningful to you. Um, I think, I mean, I think that's what part of this issue is, um, that, like you, you said, Jeff, using these tools for our own learning, and that's, and that, I don't, I don't know how, how often in, is certainly in the conventional, you know, at the university lecture format courses, where that's necessarily in, comes into play um, in terms of how I, as the professor or the instructor, actually go about, you know, learning. How many lectures do I attend as a professor to learn? But I'm learning constantly, but these aren't always translated. And I think that that's, you know, what some of these tools open us up to, and, and that's part of the transformative thing we're talking about, I, I believe, with the technology. <laughs> I said, whoa, did we get disconnected again? <laughs> uh, what you said. <laughs> well, oh, you know, sorry, I th- guys. I, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I think this is just kind of, uh, there's a lot of depth to this yeah, conversation. It's, it's heady. You know? Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things that, I, I, it's, that's an interesting perspective, Jeff, the idea of, um, you know, kind of using it for your own learning. And that certainly is one way to approach it. Um, I guess I'm wondering... You know, I, th- I think the reality of this is we all have, whether we're K-12 teachers or teaching higher ed, we all have our own particular disciplines. We all have our own particular approach to teaching, and we all have our own sort of learning styles, you know, as individuals, right? And some of these tools are going to appeal to us in one area and not another. Uh, you know, a whole class of tools may not be particularly appealing, uh, but I think one of the things that I like that you all are doing at VCU is is kind of opening up all these opportunities for exploration. Mm-hmm. And you have these student ambassadors, you know, ideally, or down the road you will, to help facilitate that sort of exploration. Because, I mean, I think the reality is, regardless of the level you're teaching and your own kind of work styles and habits, is it's so contextually dependent on how you're going to use technology. And I think that's the best thing we can do for educators is open them up to all the different possibilities and let them select those opportunities sort of with an open mind and with the, with all the choices kind of arrayed out in front of them to see what best connects with them and maybe push them a little bit beyond comfort zone, but, but give them those opportunities to find their place. Mm. You know, one one thing that I struggle with, and this is a simple question, but I don't think, I don't think it's facile (laughs) because of that is why is this so hard to get our heads around? Why is this so different than other kinds of content that we teach or teach with? Uh, do you know what I mean? Why? What makes the technology such a unique thing? And, and we worry so much about how it's going to be accepted and used. And I don't know if it's because the content that's being taught is so inexorably linked to the vehicle it's delivered by or, mm. you know, if, if because learners are coming into the classroom with different kinds of experiences with technology than they do with any other medium. And I, I, I've always struggled with this question a little bit. Hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm. We don't we don't worry about this kind, and maybe we should, but we don't have these kinds of conversations about any other type of content or any other type of delivery system. It seems we can talk about best practices, um, but it just seems like with technology, and especially with this new generation of web-based tools and all of these social media things, we you know we really worry a lot, and I'm wondering why that is. <laughs> I mean, well, for- I, 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 that's a, I think it's a very good question, and it's something we're obviously going to be keep thinking about. But I'm, I think, at least a part of it has to do with the fact that it's it's pushing for a, a paradigm shift in teaching and learning, and it has to do it's 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 this grassroots stuff. It's putting the the power and the learning in in terms of me, the learner. I don't, I'm not, I'm less dependent now on the ivory tower or on the experts because I can create my networks, I can go find the information, I can do all these things with these tools that are now available that I can learn with. And, and that's, that's, that's huge. Um, and I think that's, I'm, again, that's, I think that's part of it anyway, why it's so difficult. Well, I think, I think that's especially true, Michael, if you're sort of, if you take on educational technology sort of with a reform agenda. Right. If your okay. point is to okay. make, you know, because I, I think that's a really valid and useful approach. And I do approach. that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's, that's what you're all about. You know, and that's great. That's good. But I think it's true that I think Steve's point is, is, is still interesting in that, like, even we think about sort of um, using technology to enhance traditional right. approaches. Right. It's still. I still think we have that same mindset that we feel like we've got to be evangelists, or, you know. And I, it's an interesting question. I don't have the the foggiest idea other than to say that, you know, it, it is. It layers the complexity onto the teaching and learning process, and you know, and some people are, um, you know, are reluctant to to take that plunge, and in some cases, very understandably, you know. I wonder if some. I think it's a good point, Mark. I and mean, I wonder if some of this is just. An echo of the fact that the the microcomputer revolution has only been around for 25 years, and there's only been one or two generations that have been teaching, and you know maybe one or two that have been learning since since computers really did you know become a major part of our lives in a very disruptive way. I, I don't know, you know, because in 1983, the idea of bringing computers into the classroom that was enough to be a goal, even though we didn't talk about use of the computers. Just it was enough when those early apples or those early Commodore machines came out to say, let's get one of these in the classroom. And I think, like I said, that was the goal of it. And once they were in there, I think that's maintained, that's been maintained as the goal for a very long time without thinking about what you can do with them. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, and, and I think that's carried over to the idea of getting the internet in the classroom or the internet to students where that's the goal. And we haven't talked too much about what we do with it once it's there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve raised Steve, you you raised the. I mean, it's the perennial question. Sure. And you know, I think one of the things that that comes to mind there to to echo some of the things that Michael and Mark have, have already said. I, I think on the one hand, evangelism. There are some things that I that we have that are more sorted out and better understood than others. I, I think when when it comes to the question. The, the thing is, is that it always remains a moving target. Right. And, and so we're in a situation where, um, as instructional technologists, I, I think we have to exist at, at different points on the adoption curve simultaneously. You know, nice. I, 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 I go back to, you know, um, 
to be honest with you, like Everett Rogers fundamentally transformed me. That's one of the, <laughs> the, the, the greatest uh, things that, and, and we all cut our teeth on that one. Um, but as an evangelist, uh, on the one hand, you know, there's, there's things that are with technology, you're always out on the bleeding edge of it. And so there's evangelism associated with that. But looking backwards, I think that there are things that, um, you know, you already have sorted out and are really comfortable with and become, um, you know, perhaps more taken for granted. And I think evangelism is just one of those things that happens as a technologist because you're, but it's only one facet. I think there's, there's points along the way that have become more accepted or a common practice that you don't really evangelize anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... So, I mean, is that that part of the test, Jeff, you think, that after, after you know, so that we accept that we're at different points on the curve? And maybe we'll always be the same space apart on that curve, but collectively we're all moving? I mean, is that one way to sort of think about it? I would would think... Go ahead. Yes. I would think absolutely... Yeah, and one of the things that we run into some great difficulty with, I think, is um, having a, a little bit of backwards translation issue with yeah. folks mm-hmm. who are evangelists who aren't speaking the same language as folks who are coming to the table about something that, like, oh, blogs are just like, you know. That's so a yesterday. great example. I mean, I think and, when you say blog, you mean something very different than somebody who's just heard the word here and there. Right. And, you know, there are practices and things associated with that that you already value and have sorted out and are, you're okay with that. And um, I would think that you're probably more comfortable being able to share with somebody why, <laughs> excuse me, it, it, that might be more instructionally relevant than evangelizing Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So... I think it's an aspect or a, a facet, and we're all, yeah, I think we're all moving along on that curve, but um, at very different points. Uh, so I, I see evangelism as always being there because, you know, as as Michael said, you know, we're talking about the shift. We're on the edge of the of a of a shift. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that clarifies. No, I think I don't know if it could be clarified, Jeff, but I think it, it you know, it at least establishes a, a position that. That I, th- I think I agree with. I mean, it's the idea. I think when, when you said that we're all at different points on the curve, that kind of solidified yeah. something in my way of thinking that, you know, that's true. And at the same time, I think that entire curve is, is in motion or all of those points yes. are moving at the same rate. It's a wave. Uh, it's a, well, yeah, it's a wave. And one of the, I, I was thinking about language also. And one of the ways I think that you can tell that a technology has sort of made it is the idea of sort of, you know, retronyming. You know what I mean? So mm. when we talk about snail mail now, that's because we talk about mail as email. Uh, when we talk about I'll pick up the phone and call you, now we have to say landline to distinguish between the phone, which is a cell phone, and this older version of it, the landline or the analog line or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think language does reflect some of the changes that we collectively have agreed upon. Um, but I think that the, the – I don't know if it's the problem, but one of the challenges is, is as you're saying – Early adopters, technologists, people who know this stuff use the same words as do others, but those words have very different meanings. Mm. Uh, you know, so blog is, again, the example. When I think about a blog, I, I don't think about somebody diary writing, posting about the sandwiches he had for lunch, although they're out there. Um, I think now I think about the, dis- the distribution mechanism. You know, it's RSS for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a blog could be anything that's distributed via RSS now. And that's a shift in my own way of thinking. I mean, I, I think yeah. you can think about Washington Post as a blog if you want to, mm-hmm. um, although I don't like applying that word because of what it, you know, what makes what other people think about when they hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still has, I mean, right, it still has a lot of baggage. I think. It does. So, you know, maybe we need some new term for that, but uh, but it's it's such a slow process, I think, as, as Rogers sort of teaches us to, to diffuse this information. I didn't realize he had passed away, by the way. Uh, oh, is that right? I didn't know uh, that either. He's four years ago, so he, oh. he's now a late adopter, I guess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is unusable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, wow. I, mean, I think we're at the end of an hour now. Um, I, I don't have anything to say except, wow, can you please come back? <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to. Well, actually, um, yeah. At some point. Yeah, actually, we might have a, a conversation after we click it. But, um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. And, uh, exactly. I'll say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> your uh, insights and comments because it's uh, it's been uh, it's been good enlightening well i, w- I want to again say um it, to you guys thank you for uh for hosting and for uh actually reaching out to to have me on the show i've been a fan of gen tech for a while and it's it's really uh quite honestly um great honor to to sit here and talk with you guys but at the same time um snicker snicker uh, right. <laughs> that there's some good, good natured uh i think uh ribbing underneath that as well and i really appreciate that uh, yeah. well, thanks jeff yeah thanks yeah. it's been, been fun cool we'll talk which is bye all right bye